0: Well, good morning once again. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open with me to Hebrews chapter 3. If you're visiting today uh, for the first time uh, or the first time in a long time, uh, please know that we are studying the book of Hebrews. We're right in the middle of that study. We're doing a verse-by-verse exposition of the book. Today we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 3, Verses 7 through 19. I invite you, if you're able, please stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word. The Lord Jesus once said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And again, as we've said, I think a couple times already, much of this text is from Psalm 95. The, the writer of Hebrews takes that Old Testament text and puts it into the New Testament and applies it to Jesus. Remember, Hebrews is the handbook to the Old Testament. So, again, Hebrews 3 7 through 19. Here now, the written word of God. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. And then verse 19, listen closely to verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The grass will wither, the flowers will fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Great and glorious God, judge of all the earth, sovereign Lord of glory, we come to thee today. And as we come to your word, we're reminded that we're hearing both from the Old and New Testaments. We're reminded, Lord, that today you are being so kind and compassionate towards us by giving us, indeed, a warning. Father, unclog our ears, open our hearts that we might receive the things of God today. May your word go forth. Remove distractions, Lord, that we might focus upon thee and thy holy word. If there's one here who doesn't know you, we pray that they would come to Christ today. For those believers who do know you, Lord, may we just rest in your mighty grip upon our lives and thank you for the salvation that you have given us. Bless this day, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Friends, please be seated. In life, we have all kinds of warnings, don't we? Come our way. Here, here's a sign or signs that maybe you've seen before. In life, we have a danger sign. Danger, maybe there's high voltage. Maybe you work in an area that has a sign like that. Or, or danger, there's a trip hazard um, in your area. Be aware, right? Be alert. This is a warning that we give in this life to, to help each other. Here's another type of warning that we give. It's the warning of, of maybe a, a hurricane or a tornado. This one is a tornado warning, and, and, and we have so many details now about tornadoes. We have three different colors, three different types of warnings. We, we have what's called a watch, a, a warning, and an emergency. Three different levels just for Tornadoes. I found this next slide. This next slide I was called up, and I was like, "Man, I, I can't even count how many warnings are on that slide." There's just, there's just so many. And friends, we, we, you know, when we think about it, we just encounter these things all the time, whether we see it driving down the road or, or maybe on the news. But as we consider warnings today, let's remind ourselves: what's the purpose? What's the purpose of a warning? And we remember the purpose of a warning is to describe an event that indicates impending danger so that you are exhorted to take action to prevent or to avoid the dangerous situation. You know, warnings are there to be helpful but i found in life and maybe you're one of them many people don't like warnings they don't like them at all they don't like them because warnings get in the way of my plans has anyone here maybe ever lived on the coast when a hurricane was going to hit and and you got a hurricane warning and and they told you to leave but you wanted to stay and you're like man i don't like this warning because i don't i want to stay i, I don't want to go or or maybe you don't like warnings because it just scares you to death Don't tell me about a hurricane warning or a hurricane emergency. That's scary. I just want to put it out of my mind. I don't like it. You know, many people don't like warnings because, simply put, they just don't want to be told what to do. And they just put up their hands, no, don't give me a warning. But did you know that the Bible says that giving a warning is one of the kindest, most loving things that you could do? Think about these examples. In the Garden of Eden, when God gave Adam and Eve a warning, don't eat of that tree in the, of the knowledge of good and evil, lest you die. He was trying to love them by giving them the warning. When Moses told Pharaoh, listen, let God's people go, or the angel of death is coming and the first, one, and the first child will die in your family, that was a loving warning. If Pharaoh would have heeded that warning, his child wouldn't have died. I remember a warning in the book of John, 3 John. John warned the church about the wicked nonsense of a man named Diotrephes. There's warnings all the time in the Bible. But friend, do you remember what we said about the book of Hebrews? Do you remember we said that In Hebrews, giving warnings is not just something that happens once. It's something that happens at least six times. It's one of the themes of Hebrews. Let's put that outline back on the screen. You remember this outline. This is the first day we started Hebrews. As we walk through this text, we're going to see six different warnings. Do you remember when I preached on this a few weeks ago, when we got to warning number one there in chapter two? Maybe you remember the sound that we played during that sermon. Do you remember that? The sound, the the audio sound that was supposed to play right now, but didn't. (laughs) I see him scrambling in the back. But you remember the warning. You remember the beep 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 warning. Maybe you've heard that kind of beep sound come maybe on a cruise ship or maybe in a hospital. Maybe that type of warning that that beep sound that we hear we played that a few weeks ago. Do you remember the warning that the end of chapter two, in chapter 2 that we looked at, it was the warning of drifting. drifting Back in chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews says, Warning, pay attention, because you're drifting away from Jesus just like Judas did. Warning, pay attention, you're drifting. Don't neglect such a great salvation, because God will hold you responsible. Well, today the author of Hebrews moves us forward. The author of Hebrews takes us to the next step so that we can learn the second warning in this book. And I want you to know that just like the author does throughout the entire book, he does it again today, the author bases this warning on the Old Testament. Remember, Hebrews is the handbook to the Old Testament. Hebrews is written to a group of Old Testament Jewish people who had embraced Christ as their Savior, Yet they were getting ready to fall back into Judaism because they didn't think Christ was enough. And the author comes to them and says, no, warning, warning. There's a warning I want to remind you of from your Old Testament, from even the Psalms. Do you remember, friends, what the Jews called the Old Testament? The Tanakh. We'll put that back on the screen. Do you see the vertical word T-A-N-A-K? Tanakh. That's the Jewish Bible. T stands for Torah, which is law. N stands for Nevim, which is prophets. K stands for Ketuvim, which is the writings or the Psalms. Okay? Those are the three parts of the Old Testament. Luke 24, Jesus talks about all three parts. But what I'm telling you today is that the writer of Hebrews, is using two of those parts today. He's using the Torah, which is the story of Exodus. He's using the Ketuvim, which is Psalm 95, which we read for a call to worship. You saw it again today in the text. He uses both parts of of the Old Testament to teach us this warning. He appeals to that story of Israel leaving Egypt. He appeals to the ten plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, the time of eating the manna, drinking the water for 40 years. He appeals to that story to give us this warning. So today, this text breaks down into three main points. If you have your bulletin, flip on the back right now. There's three main points of this sermon today. Number one is, let's review the past. Let's take a review of the past. Secondly, let's look at a warning and exhortation for the present. And then finally, let's look at a promise for the future. Michael, I'm going to ask one thing of you real quick. If you'll put the stuff on that TV as well, that would be great. Thank you. Let's look at point number one, what I call a review of the past. Let's look back in Hebrews chapter 3. Let's reread verses 7 through 11 and also 16 through 18. 7 through 11. Again, this is the, Old, the New Testament writer quoting Psalm 95. And notice how he says that the Holy Spirit says these things. Have you ever wondered if the Old Testament was... Originated in God himself, here's the proof of it. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, "...today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways." As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, then, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And then 16 through 18 say, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt by Moses? And was it And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Do you remember the story, the Exodus, the story of Psalm 95? Let's revisit that story. Exodus chapter 1 says, many years after Joseph, there came a Pharaoh who didn't know about Joseph. And what did he do? He took the Israelites and enslaved them. And at the burning bush, God called Moses to take Aaron and go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh what? Yahweh says, let my people go. And they obeyed the Lord and went to Egypt, made this bold proclamation. But the Bible says that Pharaoh's heart was hard and resisted the will of God he did not let the people go so God sent 10 plagues we know that the water turned into blood that God brought frogs and gnats upon the land yet pharaoh's heart was hard he did not let the people go God brought flies dead livestock and boils yet pharaoh's heart was hard And he did not let the people go. God brought hail and locust and darkness. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hard. And he did not let the people go. So Moses came and said, Pharaoh, one more plague coming. The angel of death is coming unless you take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost of your house. The angel of death will come and the firstborn in your family will die. But Pharaoh, if you have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, God will pass over you. But Pharaoh's heart was hard. The blood of the lamb was not on his doorpost. And when God sent the angel of death, his firstborn died. And it was at that point that Pharaoh finally let Israel go. And Israel left out of Egypt and they went towards the Red Sea. And the Bible says that God led them. Imagine this. I I, I would love to go back and see this. God led them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Right? And Israel went out of Egypt and then Pharaoh said, man, I can't believe I did that. I want those Israelites back. I'm going to go get them. So Israel, is, is they're heading this way. They're heading towards the Red Sea. Again, the pillar in front of them leading them. And they get to the Red Sea and they say, how are we going to cross this? And people started to complain against Moses and against God. And then they turned around and they saw Israel. Egypt coming after them. And they said, oh my goodness, Moses, how could you do this to us? We were better off in Egypt because I can't go anywhere. I've got the Red Sea this way, I'll drown. And if I go this way, I'm going to, be, I'm going to die or I'm going to be brought back into slavery. Why did you do this, Moses? Why did you do this, God? God. God decided at that moment. These people just don't know how powerful I am. That pillar of cloud, that pillar of fire, that was out in front of them. You know what happened to it? It moved, and it manifested itself right here, between Egypt and Israel, and God blocked the way of the enemy. If, if you read the Bible, it says that it was it was it lit up. It lit up, God manifested this presence between the enemy and his people. And then, on this side, God basically said, behold how powerful I am. And using Moses, what happened? God parted the Red Sea. Could you imagine seeing that? A wall of water on each side and dry land. You see, God was telling Israel, not only am I going to lead you, I'm going to fight for you. When you can't fight for yourself, when you you think there's no way, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to fight for you. And Israel crossed that Red Sea, and then they're thinking, oh, we're on the other side. But look, God's allowed Egypt to come. Here they come. What are we going to do? This is awful. They're going to come get us. And Israel at that moment got to behold the Lord of hosts. Read it when you get home. Exodus 15. Israel sang a song to God. God, it was you who fought for us. It was you who crashed the Red Sea down onto these Egyptians. Their horses and their chariots were tossed in the water. Yahweh, you are a man of war. Yahweh is your name. Lord of hosts, I give you praise. God fought for his people. But then... God wasn't done. He'd led them. He'd fought for them. <laughs> but now, just like her children, <laughs> they're hungry and thirsty. I need food. I need water. So what does God do? He provides for them. He gives them sustenance. Bread from heaven falls, manna. What is it? It's the literal translation of manna. What is it? God gives them quail. God gives them water. You see, friends, God leads, He fights, and He provides. And Israel understood every bit of this. Think about these three things. Israel understood the leading and the fighting and the provision of God. So here's a question. How did they respond to that? Did they react God's leading in a good way did they react to God helping them by fighting for them in a positive way did they react to God's provision of water and quail and manna did they react in a good way I wish I could tell you they did but we know the answer they basically said God no thank you Even though you have led me, you fought for me, you've provided for me, God, no thank you. In fact, God, I'm going to complain against you and Moses continually. I'm going to form a rebellion. I'm going to deny what you want me to do because you remember the 12 spies that entered the promised land. You know that God told them to go get that land. Only two of them said, yes, let's do it. The other 10 said, no, let's disobey God. They said, no, thank you, God. And I'm going to rebel against you. I'm going to be disobedient to you, except for Caleb and Joshua. And this is what God said in the book of Numbers. God says, as I live, declares the Lord. What you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness And all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. What you're seeing here, friend, is the powerful judgment of an almighty God. But do you see the paradox? (laughs) God had been so kind to these people. God had led them. He had fought for them. He had provided for them. He had been so patient with them. But Israel's hearts were hard. They said, no thanks, God. We're going to rebel. We're going to complain. We're going to disobey. Friends, that's a lot of biblical history, isn't it? And you're probably sitting here thinking, What does this have to do with me? Let's talk about that. Because right here is where the rubber meets the road for you and for me. Here's the point. We are called today to review the past and not to make the same mistake. Dr. Kruger once said it this way. This is not only Israel's story. This is the story of all humanity. Think about this. Think about how kind and gracious God has been to you, dear friend. Do you know that the Lord leads us just as he leads Israel? He leads us with his word and his spirit. Do you know that the Lord fights for us just like he fought for Israel? Now I'm going to preach right here. You ready? We might not have Egypt on one side and the Red Sea on the other. But let me tell you what we do have. We have things like sin and death and hell that are our enemies. And if you try to take those three things on by yourself, if I try to take those three things on by myself, we're in a hot mess. There's no way we can get out of those three things. Let's start with sin. Are you sinless? Neither am I. But Jesus was. You see, Jesus took on sin. He was tempted just like we are, yet without sin. He took it on and one. Let's talk about death. We try to keep ourselves alive, don't we? But there's a certainty every one of us is going to die. We might prolong our life a little bit, but we are going to die. But Jesus says if you're connected to Him, you can conquer death because Jesus rose from the dead. You see, when death took up on on Jesus, it took on too much. Because Jesus conquered death on the third day. And if you're connected to him, though you die, yet shall you live, Jesus says, for he is the resurrection and the life. And by the way, when he rose from the dead, he conquered all of those sins that we talked about just a moment ago. He died with them, but rose without them. And how about hell? Can you, can you win the fight against eternal punishment? Because I know I can't. But did you know Jesus took on hell on the cross? The infinite Son of God took on an infinite punishment in a temporal time limit on the cross. In six hours, Jesus endured hell. That's why he was separated from God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced hell for you on the cross. But then he said what? It is finished. And he defeated hell. Jesus fights for you, dear friend. He defeats your sin, your death. He even defeats hell And He also provides for us, doesn't He? He provides us with the preaching of the Word. He provides us with the sacraments. He provides us with prayer. He provides us with His Holy Spirit, dear friend. Yet there are those amongst us today just like Israel. There are those maybe in this room or under the sound of my voice whose hearts are hard. You complain. You scoff. You say, God, no, thank you. I want to disobey you. I want to go my own way. Yet right now, God is saying, pay attention. Pay attention to two things. Number one, pay attention to my kindness towards you in leading you, fighting for you, and providing for you. But also pay attention that one day there's coming a day that I will cut you off. And that you will not enter the land because of your unbelieving heart. Romans 11 22 says this, note then the kindness and the severity of God. Do you see both, both words? There's the kindness of God, which people love to talk about, but then there's the severity of God, which no one likes to talk about, but the Bible says there's both. Note the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. So that brings us to our second point, which is the warning. Look at verses 12 through 15. After giving us this Psalm 95, there's a warning here in verse 12. And you, you hear it in his voice. Take care, brothers. In other words, watch out. Warning. Lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened in the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end as it is said today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Friends, what is the warning That is presently being given to the Hebrews today. What's the warning? You hear it now. Here it is. Don't have a hard heart towards God. As you review the past. And you hear the story of Israel. And you read about people being cut off from the promised land. Don't make the same mistake. In other words, don't have a hard heart. If you look at those verses we just read, the Bible gives four descriptions of a hard heart. Let's talk about each one of them briefly. A hard heart is an evil heart. It's a heart that is not inclined to to listen to God. You remember when we studied Proverbs and we said that we're to incline our hearts towards God? Inclining is a leaning towards God. An evil heart is not inclined towards God, it's declined away from God. It wants to attack God. It wants to attack his people. Secondly, an unbelieving, or rather, a hard heart is unbelieving. And this might be the most important thing I say today. An unbelieving heart. It's a heart that does not follow God. It has no faith. It has no belief. It's the heart of Pharaoh. An unbelieving heart, a hard heart is also disobedient. That means it acts contrary to God, like Israel going their own way, saying, no, I won't go into the promised land. I'm going to disobey you, God. But I want you to see something. A hard heart goes contrary to the evidence. Consider this. I want you to to take yourself back in time. You're one of those Israelites who made that journey. Look at me. You saw ten plagues. You saw a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. You saw God put that pillar of fire between you and Egypt. You saw the Red Sea part. You walked across it. You saw God crash the Red Sea on the Egyptians. You ate the quail. You ate the manna. You drank the water. You experienced all of that and said, No thanks, God. I'm not going to believe in you. Here's what Hebrews 3 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Brothers and sisters, we do well to remember the purpose, the purpose of a warning. The purpose is to describe an event that indicates impending danger so that you are exhorted to take action to prevent or avoid that dangerous situation. So do you hear the warning? Do you hear it? There is a warning. God says, don't have a hard heart towards God. So, again, how does this apply? Right now, I want to ask each of you to examine your heart. Just you and God. Do you have an evil attacking heart that wants to run away from God, or do you want to run towards Him? Do you have faith in Jesus and believe in God? or do you reject him? Is your heart willing to repent or willing to only disobey? And think about all the evidence God has given you in this life about Jesus. See, not only do you know the stories about the Old Testament, you know all the miracles Jesus did in the New Testament. You hear the preaching of his word. You've had people witness to you. You In spite of that, are you still rejecting God? Are you going against all the evidence? Do you have a hard heart, friend? If so, I want you to hear the warning. I want you to see the impending danger of being cut off from God, just like those Israelites were. You see, there's only one thing, only one thing, that will keep you from being cut off from God. And that's a believing heart, that you'll believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. This is a heart that runs towards God, a heart that sees the kindness of God, and that kindness leads you to repentance. And friend, if you are here today with a hard heart, I want to tell you what Paul told the Philippian jailer, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. I tell you this warning, I give you this exhortation because of our last point, because God has given us a promise for the future. Look back at verse 19, the last verse. It says, "So we may or so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief." Again, think about your situation. Let's bring all this to now and how it applies to every single one of us. Think about your situation. Has not the Lord led you with His Word and Spirit? Has not the Lord fought for you through the life of His Lord Jesus Christ? Has not the Lord provided for you in the preaching of the Word, the the sacraments, the, the Holy Spirit, in light of all that God's done for you, how are you going to respond? Are you going to be like Israel and say, man, I've seen it all, but no thanks, God. Or are you going to be like, you know what? Thank you, God. Let me respond with belief and obedience. Did you know that Romans 2.4 teaches us The purpose of God's kindness. Look at this. Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Let me tell you, you you might be here and you might have rejected God your whole life. Do you see how kind God is being to you right now? He's giving you even this moment. Not so you can put your hand up to Him, that it would lead you to repentance. And I say this to you today because there is a promise for the future. You see, Israel ended their journey one day. It didn't go forever. There came a point where it stopped. We read that out of Numbers. And God said, I'm not going to let you all enter the promised land. I'm going to cut you off. Only Joshua... And Caleb can enter in this generation. Because I'm going to cut you off because of your unbelief. Friends, I'm telling you, just like Israel, there is coming a day when you will end your journey. There is coming a day where you will stand before the Almighty God and be examined. And just like Israel, if your heart is hard, you'll be cut off from the promised land of heaven. You will not be allowed to enter heaven. Rather, you will go to hell because of your rejection of Christ. So friend, if that is you, hear the warning. Don't have a hard heart towards God. Jesus even talks about a group of people who thought they were going to heaven, but they weren't. This is Matthew 7. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name or do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Old dear friend. What can you take away from a text like this? If you find yourself today with a hard heart, I want you to know you don't have to stay in that condition. If you walk through those doors and sit in this seat with a hard heart, you don't have to walk out that way because of the free offer of the gospel. My question to you is, what are you going to do with God's kindness towards you right now? Are you going to stiff-arm God? Or are you going to say, let me Let that lead me to repentance. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Second, I'll tell you this, if you're struggling with doubt, if you're struggling with unbelief in God, you're not the first ones to do this, are you? There was a group of thousands that did this, that saw everything that God did and still stiff-armed God. But the lesson for you today is to hear the warning. Don't Have a hard heart towards God. See the example of Israel. Learn from it. Don't make the same mistake they did. They were cut off because of unbelief. My friend, my encouragement to you is believe. An entire generation didn't enter the land. So what's the condition of your heart? I implore you. As an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. On behalf of God, I implore you, be reconciled to God by grace through faith. Come to him, repenting of your sin, embracing the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Because if you walked in here with a hard heart, you know how you can walk out? You can walk out knowing the truth of this verse. You can walk out having assurance of your salvation. And here it is. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Guess what, friend? You can be assured of your salvation. It's not because of what you've done. It's because of what God's done for you. Do you believe? Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your word today. We're thankful, God, that you have given us warnings. God, some of us here today struggle so much with warnings. We, we say that, ah, oh, the warnings get in the way of my plans. The warning makes me scared. I don't like people telling me what to do. But God, it's out of your grace that these warnings pour out. And may we not stiff arm you like... The, that generation of Israel did. May we, God, see your kindness and may that lead us to repentance. Thank you for your loving grace for us, Lord. Work this text in our hearts and minds all this week. In Jesus' name, amen.